Hi, I'm John Vergara. And I'm Paula Vergara. So let's get right to it. Today, we're super excited to dive into the second episode of Probably Speaking podcast. For those who joined us last month for our first episode, welcome back and thank you. In this episode, we'll start the podcast with another little sibling Q&A. This one is going to be about traditional Spanish Christmas Eve food or Noche Buena, as some call it, followed by a classic Vergara story that is sure to give you some goosebumps. Uh, we'll talk about our father's early years in Spain and his father's tragic death, our grandfather. As always, the Vergara kids learned early on that you never forget where you came from. But really quickly, before we get into these really juicy stories, um, we want to share the background of our podcast art. Uh, the caricature of the man standing next to that fig tree is actually our dad. Um, a close friend of his actually painted that caricature of him way back in the 1960s as a funny gift. And it was framed and was hanging on a wall in our parents' home office for decades. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we thought it would be the perfect image to represent our podcast. Love it. So holiday season, right? Yeah. Great. So, hey, when you were little, <laughs> did you eat chocolate first on Christmas morning or did you eat breakfast? I mean, I have vivid memories of going for the chocolate first and some eggnog. And I actually, I don't think I actually ate breakfast on Christmas morning until I was a teenager. I mean, it was or just older. like chocolate and, and just junk until lunch. Please. You had it so easy <laughs> in the, in the Paula, Paula forward years later, <laughs> later, we were already all like mom and dad gave up. Yeah, that is totally <laughs> different for you guys than it was for the two, first two boys in phase one, as they say. Um, it was like you came dressed like little soldiers, ready for church before breakfast. All you buttoned up. All buttoned up, little plaid shirts and, you know, charcoal gray trousers and little bucks and, you know, your hair all slicked down and washed up and the whole bit wow. and ready for the camera. Yeah, um, this is way before the two younger sisters came into the picture and <laughs> we were pretty much jacked on eggnog from the get go in the morning. So yeah. we were just like bouncing off the walls. <laughs> and I, I recall later on when we were a little bit older, like eight, nine, 10 years old, something like that, we were suddenly, it was even before that, I guess it was seven, eight. Um, Paula, what you weren't in, not in the picture yet, but no. we were, you know, forced I was to in the oven. You were in the oven, maybe. Um, but we were forced <laughs> to go to church before uh, we could access and open our wait, on Christmas day. You had on to go to Christmas church morning. We had to go to like oh my God. 10 or 11 a.m. Mass oh. for an hour and like, like jacked on eggnog and bouncing off the walls and just be like, it was the worst torture ever. Um, sometimes it was, it'd be like noon before we could even get to open our gifts. And we were like starving and cranky. And, and they wonder why Christmas mornings are a problem sometimes. <laughs> um, 
you know, dad was downstairs in the basement with the second Christmas tree, the real Christmas tree, which is where yep. the gifts were because the living room Christmas tree upstairs was all tinsel and colored lights yep. and beautiful, but it, it had the adult gifts oh. um, for mom and dad and Grammy and that sort of thing. And downstairs where all the goods were for us. <laughs> so he'd be downstairs with this huge contraption, film camera contraption, you know, he's fancy himself a, a real cameraman here with like these four 200 watt bulbs. Oh, the floodlights. Floodlighting us as we came down the stairs, blinding us. We couldn't even see what yep. was going on. And it just yeah. made everything like yeah. magic. But those home movies, I mean, the wow. lights were all totally worth it. Yeah. It was, it was like a winter wonderland downstairs. It was just like lights and wrapped gifts and yep. parents and grandmother and like, you know, yeah, wasn't Grammy chocolate. there? Grammy, Grammy was there. would be there. It'd be, it was just like nuts. That's our and our mother's mother was there. Yeah, our heads would just explode down yeah. in that basement. Yeah, for sure. And she was all decked out. Remember that? She and was all always, always decked to the nines, full makeup, full hair. Yeah. Some, sometimes a hat. She was uh, fancy. That she had made herself, of course. Yes, yes. So, she could she could yeah, sew this anything. Was, this was phase one. You know, we were little kids, three to five, something like that, three, six years old. And it was a different time from the post years of those years when (laughs) you guys came in the picture and we moved to another state and a different house and all kinds of other stuff. The Massachusetts years were were totally different. Totally different. Yeah. So I remember Grammy, our mother's mother, uh, Betty or Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabeth would um, come and stay she would arrive like she was still working then so she worked for the irs and she would come and stay early and then she'd stay right through to new year's and mom and dad grew off to parties and stuff and we she would babysit us um and we just had had a blast with her yeah she was there for like two weeks every year yeah uh, for the holidays she lived close by we saw her all the time but yeah, it wasn't until you guys came into the picture that she we moved to a different house that was a little bigger and had room for her, and she retired and moved in with us and lived yep. with us for twenty years yep. while we were growing up and and beyond. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, she was great. Was, she was an amazing woman, and I will have more stories yep. about her. Yes, um, for sure. So, that was kind of like our experience in the early years. Um, so what was incredible gifts? They were just like. Yeah. You know, mom and dad were building a life and they bought their first home and they were married and had two boys and it was all, it was the early sixties and, you know, Kennedy yep. was still alive and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a, a little, little, um, what's, what's the, uh, Camelot time is yes. not, a, not far off, you know, right. Right. So this dashing Spanish doctor and his beautiful blonde Grace Kelly, like yep. wife. And they're perfect little children, two little children. <laughs> it was like, Bing. yep, yep, a little leave it to beaver scenario. Very leave it to beaver, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it was cool. As far as we knew, it was cool. You know, yeah. Who knows what the real story was, but it seemed like everything was great. Yeah. And and then the girls came. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we ruined it. Yeah, we just we were, became very different. Right, we were more, no longer the uh, the focus of all the relatives and yeah. all the gifts and all the all the love. So, so what was your best Christmas gift as a kid? My most memorable. I mean, it depends on the phase, but I would say 
one that sticks in my head the most, and it's going to sound really weird that a 16 year old boy would be interested in this, but it explains some other things later, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I got a Smith Corona electric typewriter with the cartridges. Oh, right. You could do different colors and you could do white out. And I have a vague memory of you opening that. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought my head was going to pop off. It was amazing. Yeah. And um, well, you were kind of a nerd. I was just, yeah, I don't know why I wanted a typewriter. I think it was that <laughs> sort of early, like, yeah, I'm working on a computer. Yeah. <laughs> you right. Know, cool factor. Yes. Right, right, right. Uh, and I don't even have to look at the keys, yeah. even though I did. And, uh, you know, but I ended up using that thing a lot. Yeah. A Didn't lot. you take that to college with you? Oh, yeah. I had that thing for years. My God. Yeah. Even when I did, I carried it around for like 10 years w- without even actually using it. But, yeah. But, uh, you know, when I was 17, I applied to all, all of my colleges uh, and you had to mm-hmm. type these things out on like buff colored paper applications oh, from the right. schools so if you made a mistake right and and wanted to erase it you couldn't do that on buff colored paper the white out would show and oh you were right screwed. so you had to go and order like six or seven packages of so college that- applications for each college and i applied to 17 colleges. oh my god so there's and yeah, there's no delete I button. Type each on a, a one of those two or three times, so I right. got them perfect. And I was like, click, click, <laughs> click, click, <laughs> trying not to make a single mistake. And then I'd make one and I'd scream oh, and I'd start over again. Yeah, good. Those were the days. Mm-hmm. But that was my favorite Christmas gift, yeah. and it certainly paid it. Paid, paid me back in spades and paid I mom bet. and dad back in spades. So yeah, yeah. I think a number of kids did their college applications on that typewriter in yep. our family. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. It, we got good use out of it. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah. So I took it to college and, and uh, that was about it. So yeah, yeah, that's my typewriter story. That was good. my favorite, favorite Christmas gift. All right. Sounds good. So Paula, do you want to talk about some of the traditional Spanish food that we had for Noche Buena? I mean, I know that was a big thing on the night on Christmas Eve. Yeah, Christmas Eve was a big deal in our house and then yeah. food was a big part of it. So we had um, the tortilla de patatas, uh, which oh, is basically yes. also known as the tortilla española. Yes. So basically um, omelet. Um, <laughs> We also had something called gambas a la plancha, which I think was your favorite from what I recall, yeah. mm-hmm. which is basically pan fried shrimp covered in olive oil, lemon juice and parsley. And then there was those. A dis- salt. Yes, a little, a little salt. <laughs> and then there was those disgusting Spanish cookies called sequillos, oh. which I mean, our house had to be completely devoid of any sugar for me to start sniff, sniffing around for those things. I mean, they were just gross. Yeah, I mean, that was like DEFCON four level day three after right day three after Christmas, and there was oh. not a. I'd be like, where are those cookies? Those are terrible times. Yeah, it was desperate, desperate times. Desperate times. <laughs> I think our mother. Sugar. I think our mother made those cookies for our dad because those were his his favorite. Spanish treat uh, growing up. And she knew they were disgusting and we would never touch them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so 
what are they made of? They're basically it's a mixture of flour, anisette, grated orange rinds, sugar, and olive oil, and then deep fried. And then just to make them even oh. more healthy, they were rolled in sugar. Oh God. Yeah. They they're deceiving because you think, yeah. oh, they're rolled in sugar. They must be delicious inside. Right. And then you bite into it and you're like, that tastes Ew. like black licorice. Right. That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Burnt black licorice. Yeah. And you spit it out. And then you then they'd sit there for a month. And dad yep. would have one of them with coffee yep. once a day. And yep. he was like in heaven. Yep. The one thing that the, the kids wouldn't touch. Like, give me one. Up. Give me one. Disgusting. <laughs> so there was no shorter. In, in other words, there was no shortage of sugar in our house growing up in the 1960s and 70s. Right. I mean, between that and the, the Twinkies and the, and the powdered donuts. Oh. That was it was sugar all the time. Yeah. Uh, we also had some white trash food for Christmas Eve just to make things interesting. Uh, we had a recipe mm-hmm. called cheese things, which is cheese basically things. cheese things, oh. which is basically Velveeta cheese, which was a staple of the 1970s, mm-hmm. uh, mixed with crab meat, butter and paprika. Hold on. What? What do you mean? That, paprika? That's right. Paprika was a secret ingredient. <sighs> Not too many people knew about that. Um, uh, so basically, the cheese, the cheese mixture was scooped into a piece of flat white bread flattened with like a, a like a glass jar or something right like yeah with a rolling pin or a glass ridiculous. jar whatever you could take whatever they could find and yeah. the crusts were removed and it was held together with a toothpick yeah how many toothpicks did i actually eat through oh my god <laughs> well you know mom warned you oh yeah, yeah. be careful they're hot i know right and it wasn't right. just any white bread. It was always Wonder Bread, which was yep. super chemical disgusting, if anybody even knows what Wonder Bread is today. Yes, that's um, sh- it has shelf what, life. The shelf life was like it, three months. It looked the same. No, it looked the same today as it did when I was a kid. The same bag of bread, <laughs> unchanged. <laughs> so it would squish down really tightly. And for some reason, it would bake up beautifully when yes. covered in melted butter and yes. boiled for about five minutes and served piping hot. Yes. Um, Easy and burnt on the edges. The best. Yes, they were good. So this appetizer is still served at most, if not all of the Vergara households on Christmas oh, yeah. Eve. And this is this tradition has uh, been going on since the 1960s. Yeah, I don't recall whether mom introduced those from something she read in a magazine or it was something that Grammy. It seems very 50s, 60s. Like, yeah, I I don't know. Questionable, you know, food values, but you know, it yeah. was it was groovy. So <laughs> we also had uh, chicken wings made yes. with soy sauce that had about a thousand milligrams of sodium per teaspoon, yeah. and uh, pineapple juice, and you had to dip the cheese things into the chicken wing sauce for the optimal eating experience. That I'm was glad, really. Those were incredible. I'm glad Mom never told us that it was soy sauce and pineapple juice because we never would have no touched it i know right known that no but by not knowing and just dipping in and having the the experience of dipping (laughs) there's no going back that was one of the best traditions i think (laughs) oh my god so hey paula do you remember that gingerbread house that was given to us when we were kids um on a christmas you know back in the early 70s or so 
Oh my God. Yes. That was, um, yes, I was about six years old, I think at the time. Yeah. Um, I had never seen one before. So I remember I nearly jumped out of my skin when I saw it on the counter <laughs> and I realized you could eat it. I was like, are you kidding yeah. me? This is out of control. I'm, that's ridiculous. It's crazy. I, I remember seeing that. I don't think I had ever seen one myself and it was like rock hard. You yeah. know, it wasn't like it was some nice soft gingerbread that had just come out of the oven. This thing was chemicals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it right. was solid and then we never really got through the walls of it but you know yeah it was pretty cool in concept yes absolutely <laughs> yeah so what was your all-time favorite christmas gift you know I, i'm gonna go back to the age six uh time frame I, for okay. some reason that five six seven was was it for me so nice. i would have to say it was my barbie camper given to me by Grammy, our mother's mother. Oh my God. Yes. That was, um, that was something. My Barbies were uh, riding in style down in the basement. <laughs> I was, uh, I was psyched about that. I also had one of those uh, easy bake ovens. Yes. And Fascinating. I remember our dad was the, uh, the only one who would personally ask me to bake him a cake. So I <sighs> happily obliged. Those things were disgusting. Even I as know. like a 10 year old, I was like, oh no, 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 <laughs> no. And dad's like popping them while you're baking them with a, you know, yeah. hundred, hundred degree, yeah. you know, light bulb. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he was trying to, you know, teach me how to bake, which, you know, would benefit him later, later on in life. And it certainly did. Yes. You made many a Congo bar for that man. Right. I did. Or so, I made sakios as well. Sakios, oh my god! Yeah, I took over that burn recipe. That recipe, burn I know. <laughs> One year, so, mom couldn't make them. I was like, "All right, I'll make them." Oh my god! Yeah. Ugh. So what about? Um, I got to ask you about the bells Christmas tree topper. The who bells, that, the red yeah, bells. Who else had bells? I know, right? I mean, usually people who, when they decorate their Christmas tree, they have a star. Or an angel at the top of the tree. Right. No, no. Normal we had... homes. I figured this out later when I would go to other people's homes. I'm like, they don't have bells. I don't understand. Yeah. The red bells. <laughs> a star I... or an angel. Nope. I think uh, I still actually have that tree topper. It's in uh, one of our Christmas uh, boxes. We don't use it anymore because it's it's a, kind of in rough shape. But um, at some uh, point, if you know, if we that. ever create a Vergara museum, I'm going to put that in a glass case and it's okay. going to be, you know, front and center. Okay. We've got a few things that we can add to that. Yes, absolutely. More stories down the road about the Vergara museum. Right, right, content. right. So uh, what are some of your childhood memories of Christmas Eve? Um, I'm going to go back to the, you know, the prime uh, kid Christmas years. I was about six, five, six or seven. Um when our brother David uh, talked me into sneaking down to the family room when we were living in Massachusetts at this point to uh, check out all the Christmas gifts from Santa. And, um, you know, it didn't take a lot of convincing. Um, So I I went down there and um, I guess I was making a little bit too much noise. And of course our parents' bedroom was right on the other side of the wall from the Christmas tree. So, you know, we were sort of fumbling around and next thing you know, I see dad standing there and his loud booming voice. So it's yelling at me and busted. I did God busted. 
So I jumped about 20 feet in the air and bolted back to bed, got under the covers. That was, oh, my God. That was a risky move, Paula. Yeah, right? I, that was <laughs> the last time I ever did anything like that. I, I stayed under the covers for the next 20 years every Christmas. I was done. I also remember around the same age, um, I became uh, – a chocolate inspector. And I took that role pretty seriously uh, because we always had a box of assorted chocolates on the table during Christmas. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So there were certain types of assorted chocolate boxes that have a map, a chocolate map. So you can see what's in them, but what do you do with a box of chocolates with no map? I mean, there were some years that mom took the cheap route and bought the cheaper chocolates without the map. Crap. So never go the cheap Always route. Always suspicious too. You have right. a higher risk factor with the, the unmapped chocolates. Right. Yeah. It's risky. Yeah. It's very risky. So, yep. um, so I had to resort to pushing my thumb through the bottom of each chocolate piece to see which ones had the good caramel and which ones had the yucky strawberry oh. or, or some other gross filling. The cherry. The cherry. Yes. The, the cherry was oh, gross. Disgusting. Thank you for doing that. You probably saved yeah. me many a, a spit out chocolate on the floor. Hey, you I know. was doing, I was doing a family was a, a service. service. That right. was a very good service. Thank you. <laughs> wow. So, <We> come- <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> so we, that was usually a last resort after the Congo bars were gone. Um, yeah. But that was a sad day. Once- yeah. Once you straighten once too many times, you got to straighten the batch, you know, straighten the batch. It's like, they're always off kilter. You got to straighten those things. <laughs> right. What are you going to do with the trimmings? You're going to eat them. Gotta eat them right. You're not going to throw them away. That's right. wasteful. Right. <laughs> right. We come from a long line of chocoholics. Yes, we sure. do. Proudly. <laughs> Proudly. Yes. So enough about the Christmas food. We need to pivot very quickly. So, uh, I don't, I don't want to reach for another glass of eggnog because that could be, you know, I'm is pushing my limit. Kal- is there Kahlua in that? Shh. Okay. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. I'll never tell. <laughs> so, okay. So what else do we have in the Vergara history book that you want to talk about? You know, I've been thinking about this and uh, I've been thinking a lot about our Spanish grandfather lately. Uh, there would, this would be our father, Jose's father his mm-hmm. name was julio um and usually around the the holidays a lot of people think about family members who are no longer around and frank and frankly as far as our father's father um he died long before i was in the picture so uh i've been thinking about his shocking death uh when our father was only nine years old and um so even though it could be perceived as maybe kind of a downer story for our Christmas <laughs> Christmas episode, yeah. But and for this audience, but it is something that changed our family, um, and it shows what we uh, it gives us a sense of pride for our heritage, um, and it's also quite a story, and it gives a good history lesson lesson to us all as kids. Hey, weren't you a history major at Middlebury? Um, I was a double major. History and Spanish, I'll have to know. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Sorry. (laughs) So here's how the story goes about our grandfather, Julio. Um, He was born in 1894, so a long time ago. His mother, 
died in childbirth. Um, and there's a whole story around that, but um, his father went on to remarry uh, Julio's father. And uh, he had eight more kids with this second wife, Josefina. So our grand grandfather Julio uh, was a veterinarian by trade. Um, and at the time of the Spanish Civil War, 1936, he was already in his early 40s and he was mayor of our little village in Villamalea, a little town of Villamalea, Spain. He had a lot of political power in the town, right? He sure did. Um, apparently, you know, he was, you know, this was sort of the power family in town politically, um, socially, economically. It was um, the Vergara's were considered uh, sort of one of the, the families in this little village. So be that as it may, uh, our grandfather, um, Julio, seemed like a very respected man and had done good work for the village and the town. Um, and uh, at the time of the Spanish Civil War, uh, because of all this political influence between the communists and the nationalists, um, our father... Uh, Pepe or Jose, his firstborn, uh, who had a chronic ear infection as a kid that had spread to front to the bone in his cranium or his orbital socket. So the year was 1936 during the Civil War, which was 36 to 39. Terrible, terrible conflict in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, so our father's parents, Julio, as I mentioned, and Consuelo, our, our grandmother, took our father, Pepe, to Valencia. They rented an apartment um, and they, you know, they had it for about a week and he was there to have an operation to remove his eardrum, which was uh, severely infected. Uh, and this operation ultimately saved his life, even though it was horrific um, and there was no anesthesia. Uh, there was no penicillin. Oh, that's and right. Some, somehow he survived having his eardrum cut out of his head at nine years old. Can't even but imagine. That's a separate, separate detail story there. But he was deaf in that ear for his whole life, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so it was during this trip that a pre-planned uh, abduction took place. Um, a group of communists. Uh, from the opposing party or perceived opposing party of our village, if you will, um, grabbed our grandfather, uh, Julio. They were all at the dinner table, our grandmother, our father, and our grandmother. Yeah, they broke into the apartment, right? Broke into the apartment and uh, dragged him out and took him to a side alley and shot him in the head and killed him. God. One single bullet right through the forehead. Our father, age nine, witnessed his own father being abducted and never to be seen again. God. You know, I remember asking dad about this when he was about 70 years old, and he still had a hard time talking about it at that age. Yeah. Um, I mean, he grew up without a father figure, there was, and there was no sense of closure for him. Never, no. And I'm sure there was a lot of guilt that he felt guilt, confusion. Yep. Yeah. All kinds of things that could have really screwed somebody up. Yeah. Um, he did have his grandfather. So his father's father was alive um, and he had him to lean on, uh, but he died just a few years later at the end of the Spanish civil war, very tragically. Um, and therefore my father, my father's mother, my grandmother 
had to take over running the family business on her own and continue raising her three boys. Yep. So, so she didn't have a lot of free time, no free time. She had young boys like two, two and five, something like that uh, to raise on her own and take over the family business and keep all the farms going. And I think that's why he went to a boarding school. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, so yeah, he, he, he definitely went off to boarding school and, um, you know, our grandfather's abductors even had the nerve. I have to tell this little side story, even though it's kind of horrific. Um, Mm. what commonly happened, uh, during the Spanish civil war is people would get abducted and disappear. And the widow, the, the woman of the household in those days, um, didn't needed to have proof that their husband, father, whatever are is dead, and they had no proof, and therefore they would not qualify for government assistance uh, during a war. So, uh, widows' benefits, whatever you want to call it. So, these abductors would go and kill somebody take a photograph of a headshot of them to, sh- to prove that they were dead. And they had the nerve to, to approach our grandmother, the murderers, the group of people that killed our grandfather came and somehow got met with her and showed her a picture of her deceased husband with the bullet room. Yeah. Gave her the picture. No, she had to buy it. Are you kidding? She had to buy it. Oh my God. Yeah. That was the whole deal. The money would be going to the people who would had, you know, communists who were trying to fund their cause and they were getting money where however they could do it. Wow. So they would charge the widow, whatever, let's say it's $500. I have no idea what the, the number yeah, was, right? but it's been, it's been documented over and over that this happened during the wow. Spanish Civil War. So I've seen that picture. Our yes. cousin has it. I've and seen it. Yep. You've seen it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like he's sleeping. He has a bullet hole through his head. It's That's horrible. It. Yep. It's horrible, uh, but it's not grisly. No. Um, and it's just bizarre yep. to look at. I mm-hmm. have no desire to ever see it again. Nope. Um, but imagine her having to take this picture to whatever government agency mm-hmm. and you know fill out a form to say, my husband's dead. Here's the picture. Here's the right. proof. Yada, 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 yada. I mean, I can't even imagine uh, in the 1930s in Spain. Wow. So. How old was he when he died? He was only 42. God. You know, just at his prime and apparently very respected. There was a plaque uh, in his name on the cathedral in Villa Malaya in the town. All through my childhood. Yeah. Um, With just his name. He's the only person in that entire town that died in the Spanish Civil War. God. Didn't dad think his father was was uh, thrown into a mass grave with all other people who fought and died in the Spanish Civil War? Yeah, he did. Yep. And it's probably true. Wow. Yeah, just dispose of the body wherever they can get rid of it. I'm sure. So dad went off to boarding school right after that happened, right? Yep. Yep. With the monks. He went and went to a uh, a Dominican, I think, boarding school and Dominican brothers. Um, so there, again, there are more stories there. So what did we learn from this? Well, I think from 
our dad's perspective, if I could, you know, put myself in his shoes, when you experience a traumatic experience like that as a kid, which fortunately yeah. we didn't have to go through anything like that. No. Um, you feel like when you feel like you've lost everything, you probably go through life feeling like you have nothing left to lose in many ways. Yeah. So that'd be enlightening. Right. So he had to grow up very fast as anyone would. Yeah. Um, and it probably explains a lot of the choices that he made in his adult life, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we learned how lucky we are and how strong our dad was, even though we didn't realize it at the time, we didn't even know what that concept was strong, weak, whatever mm -hmm. dads, dads are just dads. I'm right. Whatever. Right. Um, but with his father being kidnapped and ultimately killed, which we didn't really talk about ever no. until way, way later. Um, I maybe heard the first story for the first time and really got it when I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old. That's mm -hmm. pretty late to, to know that your grandfather was shot in the head and killed. Right. But you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even with his father being kidnapped and ultimately killed and, getting kicked out of the family home um, as it was taken over during the war by the communist party, which had killed their father mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because it was the mayor's house. So they set up camp there and totally lived out of there and, and didn't, you know, kicked our grandmother and her our, as a widow with two, you know, three kids uh, mm -hmm. out of that house to go live with relatives during the war. Great. So, Horrible, horrible times. Our grandmother yeah. never, never talked about it, never said a word about it. No, Not that we ever asked in a depth. Um, and I wish we had in some time, in some ways, but well, it was hard for him. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was too close. Yeah. So, um, but he persevered. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And as kids, you know, just getting to understand that history, uh, and the depth of it seems so enthralling and distant since we never really knew our grandfather. Mm -hmm. And it was like this whole, you know, mm -hmm. black and white movie thing going on in the background, right. uh, always right. with people wear that wore hats and, and smoke cigars. And, you know, it was yep. just like a bizarre rolled around, rode around in very few cars in Spain in those days. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's, it's, it's really great to be able to, get that perspective on our father mm -hmm. um, and as an adult and our and grandfather the, and our grandfather and our great grandfather. Yeah. Uh, who are all really, and our, and the, the women too. And we'll yep. get into that too. I mean, I'm amazing, accomplished people. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll get, we'll go into more depth, but that hopefully gives everybody a little bit more perspective on our father, right. Pepe, Jose Vergara. And, yeah. uh, we come no, from strong stock. We do. We do indeed come from strong stock. <laughs> so farm people. That's right. So th that's it. Uh, we want to thank everybody for listening and hope our family history has inspired you to reminisce about some of your own family stories or Christmas traditions. If you have some time, please give us a review to let us know what you think. Be sure to tune in next month. Subscribe and listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.